I want to ask you this morning, what kind of a person are you when it comes to a cliff? What kind of person are you when it comes to a cliff? I want you to imagine that you are at the Grand Canyon, a place that Tabitha and I were at, oh, a couple years ago. And I want you to imagine, uh, actually, probably, I think, just last year, in fact, and I want you to imagine that there is a sign. Danger, cliff ahead. Are you the type of person who walks up to that sign, looks at that sign, and says, that sign is good enough for me. I am happy to stay on this side of the sign. Or, are you the kind of person who says, you know, I think there's a better view on the other side of the sign. Let me see how good the view can get if I keep on going until I see the edge. Now, I suspect if we were to pull each one of you, we would have people in each one of those two camps. And I know this because when Tabitha and I went to the Grand Canyon, I was the person on the other side of the fence, okay? I was the other person saying, you know, I, I can see it. I'm just fine here. And Tabitha's saying, whoa, Peter, we have children at home here. Peter, don't leave me. No, don't worry. I, I didn't act anything recklessly. But the point that I'm trying to make is when there's a cliff, wisdom typically teaches us to stay as far away from the cliff as reasonably possible. And I ask that because we come here this morning to one of the most sobering warnings in, in all of the Bible, a warning that has caused sincere and conscientious Christians to be afraid, to cause them to go to their pastor in tears, wondering, worrying, about whether this warning applies to them. And if you were listening to Kevin read for us this morning, it may have jumped out as a warning at you. Jesus says in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 28, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Every sin, every blasphemy can be forgiven. Verse 29. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, hath never forgiveness. The way that we would say that today is never has forgiveness. Never. But is in danger of eternal damnation. That word in danger there literally means bound. They are already guilty of eternal damnation, eternal judgment. They are already captive to the judgment. They never have forgiveness. Now, you can see why this would cause so much sobriety. There is a sin that I will never be forgiven of. I thought Jesus died for all sins. I thought... I can be forgiven of everything. Notice indeed what Jesus says. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, whatever they blaspheme. But this one, he says, never will be forgiven, but you are already bound over to eternal judgment. What is Jesus saying? 
Well, we should try to understand that, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be sober ourselves about what Jesus is saying here and what he might be saying to us? Some people have said, well, this sin is, that Jesus is referring to is special, serious kinds of sins, like a murder or an adultery. Some have identified it with suicide. That is an unforgivable sin that you cannot come back from. Others have said, well, it's a kind of just speaking against the Holy Spirit. There was a trend that went around some time ago of atheists who would get on social media platforms and, and openly mock and belittle the Holy Spirit as if to say, I don't need any repentance. I'm putting myself out from whatever there is. I'm happy to blaspheme. But what does this actually mean? Well, what our motto here is at church is if we are to understand Scripture, we need to understand it in context. Who is Jesus talking to? What is he saying? So if we're going to understand this warning that Jesus gives, notice Jesus does not say that any of them have actually committed this sin. He did not look at them and said, you blasphemed the Holy Ghost, there's no hope. In other words, this is a warning to them, not a certain condemnation of them. It's a warning. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it say conclusively that someone has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say you have unforgivable sin because you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. God is warning us about something. Jesus is warning us about something. And I think there's, from the context here this morning, I think we're going to be helped and encouraged and challenged in our own lives to take this warning that Jesus has very seriously. The title of the message this morning is Kingdom Power and Peril. Kingdom power and peril. Now, where are we here in Mark chapter 3 as we are working through this wonderful gospel together? You remember last week we talked about responses to Jesus that people made in his time and continue to make to him today. There was his family, those closest to him, who came to him and said, He's out of his mind, he's crazy. We need to exercise control over Jesus because all these people are flocking to him. He's not taking care of his physical needs. He's lost his mind. That's one reaction to Jesus. He was crazy. There's another reaction from these Pharisees, these leaders from Jerusalem. Will you look at with me in verse number 22? Of Mark chapter 3, whatever format you have your Bible in here today. Mark 3 and verse 22. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. Now this was a name they used for Satan. He has Satan. He has a satanic spirit. He himself is demonically possessed. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. How is he casting out demons? Because he's got a demonic power. Now, Notice, first of all here, the power that Jesus claims. The power that Jesus claims. We've already been seeing his authority. The religious leaders can't say anything against it. So they slander him. And they knew that this was supernatural power. It was either God's power or it was demonic power because this wasn't human power. For him to be able to command demonically infested people and say, demons, depart from him, leave from him. And they leave and the person is completely restored. No longer plagued or oppressed 
by this demonic spirit. Not only that, do you remember what the demons were saying through their human mouths, through these human vehicles? They were saying, you're the son of God. Can you imagine how sobering or remarkable that would have been? Some demonically plagued person is is, is exercising this, this kind of demonic power and these symptoms, and he sees Jesus and says, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, get out. And suddenly the man is at whole, completely normal, completely back to his senses. Remarkable thing this would be. So Jesus is exercising this authority, and the accusation that is given against him is, you're doing it by Satan. That's the one, that's the source of your power. Now, as we said last week, this is a silly accusation. It's entirely frivolous. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? That's pretty logical, isn't it? How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. Now, what he's saying is, do you honestly think that Satan is involved in a civil war against Satan? Do you honestly think, scribes from Jerusalem, that Satan is going about casting out Satan? Now, the analogies he gives here are really profound, right? If a kingdom, if a nation has a civil war against itself internally, that kingdom will not stand. Our friend the Holders you remember who were driven from Liberia in uh, this incredible civil war that lasted for years, decades. The holders could testify to you of the kind of division that civil war provides in a country. There is absolutely no stability. He said, you think a country is going to stand if it's at civil war with itself? No. What about a house? What if there's a civil war in a house? Is that house going to last very long? No. By the way, just a footnote here. If we're in a situation where we feel like our marriage is at a civil war, our family is in a civil war, listen to that warning from Jesus. Don't be content with that, friends. Get help. I would love to refer people to counseling who are, counselors who are trained in helping resolve conflict. Let's not let our houses be in a civil war. Let's get help and try to solve the conflict. But this is what Jesus says, a house that can't a house that is divided can't stand. And the simple point he's making is if I'm going around casting out Satan, why how could I be satanic? Why would I be trying to cast out Satan's influence in the world? But notice what also he says in analogy here in verse 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil or steal his goods, except he will first bind, tie up the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about burglary, about armed robbery. Now I, I tell you, that's not a subject I have a lot of firsthand experience in. I'm just assuring you that, okay? Um, that was a joke, guys. I was telling you I've never burglared someone's house. It's okay, we can laugh. Burglary. Okay, so wh what is he saying? Well, he's not talking about the guy who tries to slip in through your back door at night and steal something. 
He's not talking about someone walking up and trying to jiggle the handle on your garage door to maybe see if there's any tools he can take. What's he talking about? He's talking about someone waltzing into your house and saying, I'm going to take this and that and that and the other thing while you're there in the house. Now, I know there are some guys here that would say, if you come in and try to do that in my house, when I'm awake and right there, I hope you have a small army with you. You're going to have to tie me up first because I'm not letting you walk into my house and take away everything you want. That's the point. So he says, if there's someone in a house and there's a strong man in a house and someone walks in and tries to spiel it, he's got to tie up the strong guy first. Now, do you see the analogy that he's drawing? Who's the strong man? Who's the strong man in the house? Satan. Satan's the strong man in the house. And what's Jesus doing? Jesus is going into his house. Satan is called the God of this world. There's a sense in which he has a claim to this world and the people that are in it. We are in bondage. We are his captives. Jesus walks into his house, plants his flag down, and says, give me him and her and him and her and him and her. And what does he say? If I can look at someone who is captive to the devil and say, devil, leave, that's mine. What does he have to do? He has to tie up the devil. He has to have power over the devil. He could not be casting out the devil unless he had power over him. What are the devil's possessions? People. Do you know, friend, you're saved this morning? You have been delivered because Jesus, in a sense, walked into the devil's house and grabbed you and took you out? That's why you and I received forgiveness. Because Jesus exercised power over the strong man to deliver you. What a wonderful salvation we have. We were the captives. Listen to what Colossians 1 says. That Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's taken us from the devil's kingdom and he's translated us by his divine power into his own kingdom. So this is the analogy that he's bringing. This is what Jesus came to do, to deliver people who were captive by exercising his sovereign authority over the devil. Now, I just want to pause there as well to say that's still what Jesus is doing in this day and age. He's still delivering people from the kingdom of Satan, his house, into the kingdom of God. He says all power, all authority is the idea. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. What is he saying? Because I have the authority over the evil one. Because I have bound the strong man. Go and do what? Make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them and teaching them. You and I, if we believe that Jesus has authority over the strong man, we're going to go. We're going to go into this city. We're going to go into our neighborhood. And we're going to say, Jesus exercised that authority. Bring people out of captivity. Bring people out of Satan's house. Spoil his house, Jesus. Rob him blind. We're looking for more people to be delivered. Is that you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has bound the strong man 
and he's robbing him blind? I hope so. I hope so. That'll affect the way that we go out into this world and seek to have his authority brought to pass. So notice the power that Jesus claimed, the power to exercise authority over Satan. But notice, secondly, the person, the person of this power. And uh, you may be wondering, okay, what is the connection between verse 27 and verse 28? In verse 27, Jesus is saying, I've entered into Satan's house and I'm robbing him now. And notice verse 28, Verily I say unto you, then he goes on to say, All sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. And now look down at verse 30. Because they said he has an unclean spirit, an evil spirit. What is the connection between what Jesus was doing in his authority over unclean spirits and their accusation of him? He has an unclean spirit. We need to talk here about the person of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn over for just a moment to Mark chapter 12. Keep your finger in Mark chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at the parallel account of this in the gospel of Matthew of this story. Notice with me in verse number 25. Again, when Jesus is accused of casting out devils by Satan himself, Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Now look at verse 28. But if I cast out devils, by whom? The Spirit of God. Then what? The kingdom of God is come unto you. Now think about that for just a minute. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then that proves, that confirms that the kingdom of God is come to you. In who? Jesus, the King. Now stop there for a moment. That logic there is something we really need to grasp. What was Jesus saying? Jesus saying is there's a conflict going on. I'm not part of Satan's kingdom. I'm the enemy to Satan's kingdom. I am the one come on behalf of God's kingdom, planting my flag in the earth, gathering out of his kingdom, Satan's kingdom, ones to be translated into my kingdom and exercising my power over him. And what he's saying is, by whom is Jesus exercising that power? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. Friends, think about it this way. Remember that analogy. If you go into the strong man's house, you've got to tie up the strong man. Who's the rope? The Holy Spirit. Who binds the strong man? The Holy Spirit. How was Jesus exercising his miraculous authority? By the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
And what, what we should just recall to mind here is that the Holy Spirit was everywhere in Jesus' ministry. Do you remember in Luke chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 1 where we're being introduced to the birth of Jesus, we learn that Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who brought him, if you will, into life as a human. We remember when he was baptized and he was put under the water and he came out under the water and the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove, not as a dove, a physical dove, like a dove. And Jesus was empowered for his earthly ministry. You remember John the Baptist giving testimony. We saw here in Mark chapter 1 saying, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming, Jesus. He will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit. He will saturate you in the Holy Spirit. And now we see the power of Jesus being revealed openly and clearly by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is casting out demons. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus is miraculously healing those who are diseased. By the Holy Spirit, he's doing great works. By the Holy Spirit, he's speaking authoritative doctrine. Everything that Jesus did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, why does that matter? Because what was the purpose of all of this? What was the Holy Spirit's testimony doing? Confirming that the kingdom of God had come. Remember what Jesus said? If I'm casting out devils by the Spirit of God, then what? Then the kingdom of God has come to you. The whole purpose of what Jesus was coming about was to make his kingdom obvious by the Holy Spirit. It was to confirm Jesus is the one. Why? Because look at what he's doing. Listen to what he's saying. Look at the authority that he's exercising. He is from God. Do you know even after Jesus was resurrected and ascended up to God, this was the message of the early church? The Holy Spirit had confirmed exactly who Jesus was. Listen to this in Acts chapter 10. Peter is preaching to the people of Jerusalem, and he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. The Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This was God's spotlight on him. It was God's validation of him. It was God's stamp of approval and authority on him. This is my son. This is the king in the kingdom. Listen to him. Now why do you think Jesus said it is such a big deal when someone looks at the Holy Spirit who has been confirming the work of and person of Jesus Christ and said, that's a demonic spirit at work. That's an evil spirit at work. I reject it. I conclusively speak against it. I slander it. Why do you think Jesus says that kind of sin never will be forgiven? Let's go thirdly to the peril not only the power that Jesus claimed, not only the person behind this power, the person of the Holy Spirit, but finally the peril of rejection. Start with me in verse 28, will you? Let's make sure we understand this, this concept here. 
First of all here, there's a promise of forgiveness. In verse 28, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Pause there. Have you committed a sin that you wonder whether God could forgive? Have you ever done something and you've thought back, I don't know that God can forgive. I don't know that he will forgive this sin. That was too serious. If that's you this morning, will you go back to verse 28 and see the promise of Jesus? All sins will be forgiven to the sons of men. All sins, do you believe that? Do you believe there is no sin that is so serious that Jesus is not willing to forgive it in the sacrifice of his blood? I just hope that you will this morning. I hope if there's a sin that is just weighing you down, you came in with this morning, you said, I can't forgive myself. And if I can't forgive myself, I can't believe that God would ever forgive me. That you just take Jesus' words at face value and say, no, Jesus, I believe that you will forgive me. And I believe even if I've asked, even right now, you have forgiven me. Will you believe it? All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. In fact, in the other parallel passages here in our Gospels, do you know what Jesus says? You can blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven. You can blaspheme against the Son of Man, and Jesus says that will be forgiven you. Do you know what an encouragement that is? Do you know we see people like that in the Bible? What about the thief on the cross? who on the cross as he was dying was reviling, mocking, belittling Jesus. And then something about the way Jesus was responding or how he was approaching um, the situation convicted him. And then ultimately he turns over to the other guy on the other side of the cross and says, don't you know we're here because we deserved it but not this guy? And then he turns to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That man turned from a blasphemer of Jesus Christ to one who had entered the kingdom. What about Paul? Do you remember the apostle Paul, how he describes himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1? He said, I before was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the name of Jesus, but God had mercy on me. He said, listen to why. He said, God had mercy. How about for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Friends, are you worried about the sins you've done that have been too severe? Look at Paul. Paul got forgiven. You can too. Forgiveness is available to you. It is available to the deepest and darkest sin. So you say, well, then why does Jesus say this sin, the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness? What is different? Well, let's go back to the Pharisees. Let's go back to the Pharisees here. Jesus had come into the world And the Holy Spirit was miraculously giving evidence that this was the Son of God, the Messiah, the only way to God. And what was their response in view of the blinding light of the Holy Spirit? That's demonic. God was graciously revealing Jesus to them, and their response was, no, turn out the light. Here's the point. 
I believe that Jesus is saying the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness because ultimately you're blaspheming the very one who is giving you a chance to be saved. The very one who is shining light on your path. The very grace giver. How do we come to salvation in Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us and reveals light to us. How do we enter into the kingdom of God? Because the Holy Spirit binds up the strong man, gives us new life. We are born again through him and we enter into his kingdom. And when we look at the one who gives us light and shake our fist at him. There's no other light. Imagine that you're in a room surrounded in darkness, and the light comes on, and you look up at the light, and you shake your fist, and you reach up, and you unscrew the light bulb. There's not another light bulb. You're going to be in darkness. Imagine that you go to the doctor's office and the doctor tells you soberly and seriously, I'm sorry to tell you, imaging has revealed that you have a disease that will be terminal unless you get treatment. I have a shot here. I have an injection that if you take this weekly, you will be spared. You will be delivered. You say, Doc, I don't know. I think that might be poison. And the doctor says, I can show you studies. Here, let me pull them up for you. Look at all the patients that have had success. I'm telling you, there's no other medicine. And you say, Doc, I don't believe it. That's poison. And you get up and you walk out of the doctor's office. There's no other medicine. There's no other treatment. You have chosen death. And it will never be reversed. Because you looked at the life-saving medicine and you said, Doc, that's poison. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is, you can speak against me. You can blaspheme me. Friends, some of you may be thinking today, I used to blaspheme Jesus. I used to speak against him. I used to deny him and reject him. But thankfully, the Spirit shone light on me one day, and I was forgiven. But what about the person who doesn't just look at Jesus, but who looks at the one who's giving him light, who is convincing him graciously about who Jesus is, and says, I want none of that light. I don't want any of that medicine. I'm shaking my fist at the grace giver himself. Jesus says there is no forgiveness for that because there is no other light. There's no other medicine. There's no other source of grace. Do you see do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what the sobering warning to the Pharisees was? Again, as I said to you, he didn't say that any of them had committed it. He just told them the truth, that there is a kind of sin against the Holy Spirit, what I believe to be the deliberate, light-given rejection of the source of light itself that will only lead to our eternal judgment. Do you wonder how whether that hit at all with them with any force? Do you wonder whether that convicted them at all? You see, friend, there are some people perhaps here who said, have I done that? Have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? I can tell you, friend, if you're worried about it this morning, I can tell you virtually conclusively that you have not. Because the sin against the Holy Spirit is one that will never be repented of. It will never, it will be never to be turned from because it is the conclusive rejection of the light itself. 
ultimately, what is our response to this warning? The question is, okay, well, if someone could perhaps commit that sin, if we're being warned against it, could I? Could I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You know what's interesting about this passage is that we're never told exactly where the cliff is. We're never told exactly the line. This is what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. This is what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not. You can go right up to this edge and dip your toe over it, but you can still take it back and get away from the cliff. Jesus never says that. In our New Testament epistles, there is never any specific, clear, unambiguous, you cannot say this, you cannot do this, you can, this is where you go too far. And that's where I go back to what I started our message with. How are you around cliffs? Are you the kind of person who looks at the sign of a cliff and said, that's far enough, I won't go any further? Or are you the kind of person who says, let me see how firm the ground is right at the edge? I think Jesus intends to sober us with this word, just like he intended to sober the Pharisees. I think he intends for us to take seriously what he's saying here. I don't want to come anywhere close. So what does that mean for us? Well, what's the opposite of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Speaking against him, consciously rejecting his light. Isn't it embracing him? Isn't it listening to him and submitting to him? You see, the first thing that I hope we take away from this message is simply this. What an incredible gift you have that the precious Holy Spirit of God shone light on your heart and revealed Jesus to you. Do you praise him and thank him for that, Jesus? Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gave me light. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who made me a new person spiritually with whom, in whom I was born again. Thank you for convicting me when I'm wrong. Thank you for giving me joy. Thank you for giving me peace. Thank you for bringing a love in me for God and for others. Thank you for teaching me from your word. Thank you for giving me fellowship with my fellow Christians. Thank you. Friends, when you have a grateful attitude to who the Holy Spirit is and his convicting work in your heart, you're not going to come close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that much. When you embrace him, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. No, he's not saying we should walk around as pretending that the Holy Spirit might abandon us at any minute. No, he says the Holy Spirit is sealing you. He's protecting you, preserving you till the day of redemption. And out of gratitude for him, don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. A spirit of gratitude and of submission toward the Holy Spirit. But I also want to say this. I may be talking to someone here today. And you know you've been resisting the Holy Spirit and what he's been telling you about who Jesus is. You know that he's been speaking to your heart and saying you need to get right with Jesus. You need to walk with him. 
You need to accept him as the king who you're going to bow your knee before and follow. You need to believe on him and trust on him. You know that the Holy Spirit has been making that statement to you and you've been saying, no, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, maybe the next week. My warning to you, I think, is the warning of Jesus this morning. You never know when your last step will be on that cliff. You never know when you saying, no, I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit, is going to be you reaching up and unscrewing that light bulb, and your room will be dark. Your spiritual vision will be dark. You never know when the doctor has come to you with that life-saving medicine of Jesus Christ, and you've pushed him away, when that will be your last opportunity. It will be your last chance to accept the truth. I don't know whether any of these Pharisees committed what Jesus would call ultimately the blasphemy from the Holy Spirit, but I do know this. I do know that many of them rejected the light of Jesus Christ one day for the last time, and they are in eternal judgment. I just plead with each one of you this morning, where is the Holy Spirit shining light on your heart do not turn off the light. Let it shine and embrace it and obey him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the kingdom power that is in Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift we have in the Holy Spirit who seals us under the day of redemption. Oh, I pray that we would not grieve him this morning, that we would not quench him no, not so that we wouldn't lose our salvation, so that we wouldn't lose what we've been sealed for, but that we would keep that healthy respect, that healthy uh, embracing of who he is. But I also pray, perhaps there's someone here who has never entered the kingdom of God. They have never embraced Jesus as their king, as their savior. And perhaps they are closer to the cliff than they imagined. Oh, I pray, Father, Spirit of God, in your graciousness, would you reveal Jesus and would you bring them to the place of repentance where they can be assured that they will receive the forgiveness of sins. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. What is your relationship like with the Holy Spirit right now? Are you opening every door of your life and saying, shine in, I want the light, I want to listen, I want to obey? Or are there areas of your life that you know you are consciously resisting him, you're trying to turn out the light? 